kiss my black <laughs> you know what I'm saying, and AJ. I don't like none of them up, you know what I'm trying to say? But one thing I can tell you is that after I finish with du Dubois, I definitely want Manuel Chark as he got that belt. Them dudes got losses, and there ain't nothing over there with the, for them belts right now. But I tell you one thing, though, we all know for a fact that AJ don't want no smoke with Deontay. Uh, even though, don't start with me, you know. Even though, yeah. Miller, don't start with me. Even though, you know, I'll come over there and slap you, and I see you brought your mum here again. I see you brought your mum here again because you need a rampage. Boy, shut up, you're not built like that. But like I was saying, we all know that with Deontay. As much as I don't like Deontay, I know Deontay will put them in the grave. So let's make, I'll make it easy for you. Either you can fight Deontay and go to the grave, or fight me and go to the hospital. Either way, you get the So pick your poison. So let's stop all that talking. And pick somebody that really can fight. Either me or Deontay, one of us Americans, whoop your Hey, and welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where we finally have our day of reckoning. Not quite the day we thought we'd have. Bit like Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve, right? It's kind of that flat day when no one wants to do anything. But you still got to run around and do all the pointless shopping. This card feels a bit like that. I think I summarized it on, on Eddie Hearn's post on Instagram. And I simply said, You gave us all the fighters we wanted to see and none of the fights we wanted to see. And that's almost like the... How... How you get that much talent together and still get the fights wrong is beyond me. And I don't put that at Turkey's door. I just have a feeling that the promoters were too protective of their cash cows. I genuinely wish Turkey had just written out the fights he wanted and said, how much is this going to cost? And just done it that way. But look, the right thing to do is to try and look at the card objectively and really dissect it and see what are we getting here for our hopes, our dreams our aspirations so to speak what are we actually going to get come december 23rd and as fans should we be happy with it and then we could always talk about the press conference and the kind of sword fighting that happened um, between the two rows of tables so december 23rd 2023 in Riyadh, as part of Riyadh season i think we're hitting sort of peak time in Riyadh season so this is kind of like that midpoint um, I think it runs from like autumn solstice through to the spring solstice. If I'm wrong on that, feel free to correct me. So it'll be the first weekend after the winter solstice, which is obviously of religious and cultural significance to many, many different cultures. But on that Saturday, December 23rd, we are going to get what they're calling the greatest card in boxing history. And it will nominally be headlined by Anthony Joshua versus Otto Wallen. I just think the logic behind that is Wallen's probably more appreciated in the sport and respected without being more decorated than Joseph Parker. Um, definitely hasn't been battered around as much as Joseph Parker has. No? So the card, from what I remember, will be Anthony Joshua versus Otto Wallen. It will then be Deontay Wilder versus Joseph Parker. We will have Dimitri Bivol versus Lyndon Arthur. Jaya Pattaya versus Elis Zorro Daniel Dubois versus Jarrell Miller Aslan Beck Makhmudov I think he will be fighting Cabayel so I get Cabayel we'll have Frank Sanchez versus Junior Farr 
Philip Hergovich versus Mark Demori. Now, I'll go on record as saying that's the best card we've seen this year. But that's a really low bar we're jumping over. It's the best card we've seen in the last two years. Still a really low bar. I think you're going back to 2017 to find a card that has that much star power. We just park the significance of the fights for one second. Just that star power alone, we've waited nearly seven years for that kind of star power. So I just need you to bear with me. I'm going to go through the fights one by one because I think they, they deserve a bit of overview and initial analysis. And this may change over time. My views will change. You know I am. But if we look at Joshua versus Otto Wallen, they're going to leverage the fact that they fought as amateurs and Wallen will think he was robbed. Joshua will say it was an easy fight. I expect that to be the case. What's really clear is, since that fight, Joshua's gone on to do so much more than Otto Wallen. Joshua has more quality miles in him than Otto Wallen has. Uh, Wallen's just been a guy who is in the Who Needs Him club. Busy, tall, strong Southport, who, much like the rest of the Swedish kind of system, functionally solid. Fundamentals are good. He knows what to do as a southpaw, and he'll make life hard. He, he'll be like Usyk light for Joshua, which presents opportunities, but it also presents challenges, right? What Joshua was able to show in the second fight against Usyk was, if you're not mobile enough, he will get to you with those heavy shots. Eventually, he'll get to you. But if Wallen can move around like Usyk did in the first fight, he'll make Joshua miss and hopefully make him pay. But in terms of a fight, I'm not upset about this fight because we've wanted this fight for a while. The issue with the fight is we were so close to him fighting Wilder that this feels like that extra fight that we have to swallow before we get what we want. That's if we get what we want. So that's why the fans are upset that we're having to go through this. Because if you really break it down, and this is something we can all agree upon as boxing fans, if they have the money to pay Anthony Joshua to box on December 23rd, and they have the money to pay Deontay Wilder to box on December 23rd, they could just make them fight each other. The money's already there. Then they could have had Parker versus Otto Wallen. Parker versus Wallen is not a fight we'd complain about as Chiefs support to what I just suggested. We'd have no issue with that. Just those little tweaks there, and the card suddenly makes a lot more sense and would elevate this to maybe the, the centerpiece of Riyadh season. But as it is, we've now got Deontay Wilder versus Joseph Parker. And if we're being brutally honest, Joseph Parker has been exposed for what he always was, which was a guy who, had he been born and raised here, would be a perennial British champion. He, he's like a... He's like a Derek Chisora with a stage one upgrade. Not quite a stage two upgrade because that would make him Dillian White. But he's like a Derek Chisora with a stage one upgrade. Um, but he's seen better days. And I genuinely think as soon as Wilder gets to him, it's just going to look messy. It's going to look messy for Joseph Parker. Um, I think if Wilder's still got 70% of what he had in the first Fury fight, well, it's going to be a massacre. But this is the price we have to pay. So if you didn't scroll down the card, you've got Dimitri Bivol versus Lyndon Arthur, which on paper, I'm like, 
who the hell signed off on this? But I'm going to support Lyndon Arthur. I'm going to say Lyndon Arthur deserves this because he's been ignored by so much of British boxing. I'm not mad at Lyndon Arthur for getting a shortcut to a world title. But also remember, he's IBO champion. So if you wanted to be really anal about it, you'd say, well, it's a unification. But I feel Lyndon Arthur was consciously ignored by a lot of people. Joshua Boatze, Craig, not Craig, well, Spider ignored him too. Um, who else has ignored him? Shakam Pitts will put in there. He's ignored him too. And I'd put Cam Smith in that mix. John Ryder flirted with 175. They, they could have all fought Lyndon Arthur. And the only person who stepped up to fight Lyndon Arthur was Anthony Yard. Lost one, won one. Um, the way that Yard set about him in the second fight, that's not what Bivol's going to do. So I think Lyndon stands a better chance in this one than he would in the fight against Yard. The key for Arthur for me is to back up Dimitri Bivol. In, in no fight of Bivol's have I really seen him show me what he can do going backwards. And if Lyndon can just back him up with a jab, double jab, jab to the head, jab to the body, and then just flow combinations off that, I think he can, he can kind of get a similar performance like Craig Richards got against Bivol. But probably, I think Lyndon's a little bit busier. I don't know if he's as heavy-handed, but he's definitely a little busier than Craig was in that fight. And then just, just continuing the theme of kind of fights you'd never pegged down to happen. You've got Jairo Pataya versus Elizoro. And when this was announced, I was a bit... At first I said, this is a horrible mismatch. This is, this is unbelievably cruel. And then I remember that Jaya Pataya just fought Jordan Thompson. And like Jordan Thompson's far more green than Ellis Soro. So now I'm looking at it going, maybe this is just par for the course. Perhaps once you've paid Joshua, Wilder, um, Bivol, Parker and Wallen, there's probably not a lot of cash to go around. So Frank was like, um, who can I give a decent payday to? And I hope Ellis Soro... And I hope Lyndon Arthur are both making career high money because it's a short career. And if these guys can make money that helps them buy a house, pay off a house, I'm not going to stand in the way of that. And I'm definitely going to be, I'm not going to be in front of a microphone criticizing that. I just, I just see that Jaya Pataya versus Ella Zorro being a fight where we'll be applauding Zorro's toughness, but he will get stopped. And, I don't say that with any joy, any pride. I'm glad he's got the payday. But you're dealing with a kid who's been good since he was 16, who's a Southpaw who knows the game unbelievably well. Actually, on a side note, it'll be interesting to see if Opatire stays in the UK to do some work with Anthony Joshua. Maybe that's part of the plan. Then I get a fight that doesn't, doesn't make any sense to me, right? Daniel Dubois versus Gerald Miller doesn't make sense to me. Daniel's just been stopped against um, Usyk, and that wasn't that long ago. And so you throw him straight into this. And this feels like everyone's trying to get their money out of Dubois. It's almost like they've, they, and they won't say it publicly, but I have a feeling that somewhere in Hertfordshire, at Frank Warren's house, the converted chapel, converted church, wherever it was, they've sat around, um, they've had their prawn cocktail, on, on cracker wheat or whatever they eat. They've had a, a bit, of, bit of Merlot. They just sat out having a chat, maybe some Cohibas, don't know if Frank smokes or not. 
And they've gone, I don't think Dubois got it. And they've gone, right, we need to get our money out. Let's, let's just keep sending him to Saudi until we get our money back or until we make our profit on him. Because you're putting him in with Jarrell Miller, a guy that we haven't really seen troubled by power. And guys like De Harper's can punch, by the way. And he's been able to hang in with those sorts of guys. As he said himself, he throws a ridiculous number of punches for a heavyweight. Um, 70 to 80, 85 maybe. And what we know is when Daniel gets overwhelmed, it gets hard for him in the ring. Now, I don't say that with any joy because I've been a fan of Daniel Dubois since he was a kid. Love the family. Love his trainer, Don Charles. Like, it's all love. But he's going to have to get used to people who throw a lot of punches, who keep him under pressure, who who suffocate him. So he's not going to be able to just box with, you know, considered thought, um, action. He's he's going to have to establish dominance early. And then it's just relying on skills all through that fight. For Miller... I'm happy for him because we've seen so many people since Miller failed that drugs test be allowed to box, be allowed to make money, and we've all had to act like it never happened. Whereas with Miller, he's become a whipping boy. Like, I've seen guys on Twitter that were backing Conor Ben absolutely slating Jarrell Miller. And this is what I mean about kind of girlfriend behavior. You know, that kind of low testosterone behavior a lot of boxing fans exhibit where they just have to be bitchy because they can't be anything else. But, look, Miller is box office for boxing. He brings eyes to screens. He's entertaining. He's engaging. He's thoughtful. He's smarter than you may assume. He's all of these good things. But the fact is he's failed two drugs tests. But he's not the only one. Povetkin and others have also failed multiple drug tests. There are many people in the Hall of Fame that have failed multiple drug tests. There are people in the Hall of Fame who were known to be abusing steroids, just never got caught. So let's have a sense of perspective on that. And then we've got Arslanbek, Makhmedov against Agid Kabayel. <sighs> filler. Just, it's just it's filler. If, if Makhmedov, whatever his name is, Arslanbek, right, if Arslanbek can stop Kabayel, it might propel him into a more meaningful conversation. But right now, it's kind of hit and hope. Frank Sanchez versus Junior Farr. It's just Frank Sanchez cleaning up, you know, some flotsam and jetsam before he says, why can't I fight a final eliminator for a world title? So there's a lot of positioning on this card. A lot of heavyweights positioning themselves for fights. You know, maybe Sanchez calls out someone like Joshua. Or maybe he calls out the winner of Dubois versus Miller. And then... Final fight, Philip Hergovich versus Mark Demori, which, like, I think is an absolute embarrassment for the record. I think is an absolute disgrace. So, and I understand, like, if Hergovich is saying, I need to protect my IBF ranking so I can get my automatic shot at the guy who unifies, fine. If the Saudis are saying, look, this is the price we had to pay for Hergovich not to demand the immediate IBF title shot I get that but anyone trying to convince me that this is a good fight what planet are you on I mean as Roy Keane would say you're in cuckoo land I, I think it's quite possible one of the worst heavyweight fights I've seen in a long time it's like when Fabio Wardley fought that fat guy that came in at 320 pounds it's utterly embarrassing it's 
How do you even describe it? It's like showing up at a track day and you've got your Golf R and you've, you've had it tuned. Like it is kicking out 550, 600 brake, but it's a Golf R and someone pulls up alongside you in an F1 car, even an F3 car and goes, you fancy a race. Anyone looking at that from the outside is like, those two cars can't race each other. Like, these are not the same, like, they're not the same anything. Mark Demore is not the same anything. I think he may leverage, like, well, I'm half Croatian, so it's kind of like a derby of sorts. Mark Demore learnt to box on the internet. Mark Demore is essentially a fitness-first boxer. Mark Demore is essentially... Uh, what was that thing that Bouncer used to do? I can't even remember. He's essentially, um, what, what do you call it, misfits. Yeah? Mark Demore's misfits level boxing. Tom Little would batter him today if they fought. Mark Demore's not very good. Mark Demore, Mark Demore would lose to most British light heavyweights right now. Isaac Chamberlain will sleep him. Guarantee it. Mark Demore is terrible. People roasted David. Hey, I don't. I didn't hear Bell. You say a word this time about Demori. The way he ripped into him a few years ago. Why is he not doing that now? Because you know his puppet masters have told him not to. But I think that fight is terrible. But if there are political dimensions to it in terms of keeping Philip Hergovich sweet, and because of that he had leverage to say, I want, I want good money, but I want a soft opponent. Fair enough. Sometimes you've got a horse trade to get the things you want. So sometimes I can accept that there's a bigger game at play. But if you look at that card, that's not a card you're just going to watch at like 10 o'clock at night. You're going to watch that from the start because it's compelling from start to finish, right? It may not be the greatest card. It may not be any of the fights we wanted, but you're like, what's going to happen to Daniel Dubois? Or ah, I wonder how far Ellis can go before he gets stopped. Or, I wonder if Lyndon can cause an upset. All these sorts of things start to play. And I, I'm going to back the underdogs. So I'm going to be backing Ellis Zorro and I'm going to be backing Lyndon Arthur because why not? Like these guys have been given a lottery ticket. It's up to them. If they've really got it in them to dominate, something good may happen. I'm not guaranteeing it, but something good may happen. I know the Australians will tell me, may show Jayopatai some respect. And I have, and I've said he's a completely different level. You know, Elizoro learned to box close to adulthood. Jayopatai learned to box in childhood. This gap is vast. But they still got to fight. So we'll find out. But I think that's the sort of card, um, if you look at that big picture of, of what's happened and you know, there's little bits of gossip I've heard. There's stuff that's been said publicly. It looks like Frank's in charge. Um, he holds the purse strings. So it looks like Frank can say yes or no to a lot of things. Because if you notice, Frank's got a lot of real estate on the fact. I don't even think anyone's dominating the real estate. Frank seems to be the... So in corporate finance, you talk about, even in insurance, you talk about syndication. So... If there's a big takeover, um, I don't know, you know, Ford want to buy Mercedes-Benz or the Volkswagen Group want to buy Mercedes-Benz and they need a 50 billion loan. That loan is syndicated because no bank can carry that risk on their balance sheet. And what there normally is is a lead arranger. 
It may be JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs. It's normally one of the big banks, like Citibank. And their job is to coordinate the loan. So the loan comes in tranches, right? And depending on how much you're willing to, to put in and at what price determines where you are in the pecking order. So if you're the first 10 billion, you're most likely to get paid as opposed to the last 10 billion. And there's all that horse trading that happens, but it's all coordinated by the lead arranging bank. And it looks like in this case, Frank is the lead arranging bank where Turkey has said, I've got this budget. Um, what can we do for that? And Frank said, here's what I can put in. Here's what Bob can put in. All right, let's talk to Shelley Finkel. So everything non-matchroom, it looks like Frank has worked with the American promoters and probably Wasserman to get done. And then I think Turkey's probably just pulled the pulled rank with Eddie Hearn and said, listen, this is going to happen with or without you, but we'd quite like some of your guys on here as well because we're trying to spread the wealth. No, Turkey's not stupid. What got to think how he's 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 a very very smart man. Whatever the budget for that night was, let's just say the budget for the whole card is fifty mil. Okay. By splitting that between, they're saying twelve promoters. Okay, cool. No one promoter has power. No one promoter can make demands because what Turkey has said is, I'm sharing it out relatively equally. Because. If one person starts acting up, we can lean on someone else. And it's a way of keeping everybody in line. So he's, he's smart enough to let people know that, hey, we're not stupid Arabs about to get fleeced here. We're going to run this in an organized way so that we get the outcome we want for Riyadh season. So I think that's really smart and something that doesn't get talked about a lot. You know, nominally, we're talking about Frank being in charge here, right? Frank was the main guy talking. Dev Sani was MC, all this sort of stuff. But really, Turkey's in charge. Frank, Frank's just kind of shown that he's in a little bit better than Eddie Hearn. But that could change next month. But as I've said before, the Saudis are not beholden to anybody. So it'll be interesting to see how, how these relationships ebb and flow over time. I want to talk about the press conference because when you get all the people in a room that we've wanted to see in a room for a long time, you get to see who's who. The energy reveals itself. The stuff that you can't hide, the stuff that you can't beg Coogan to keep out the video, all that sort of stuff is revealed in a press conference. But the first thing I want to say is, and I've seen Dev get a lot of criticism online because Joshua didn't want to take any of his questions. Dev Sani was instigating though. Dev, Dev was instigating and he'll admit that he was instigating. He was like a dog with a bone on that Wilder Joshua thing. Like he tried to hint at it and Wilder tried to straight bat it. Like, nah, no, we ain't going to go there. And then Dev was like, no, 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 we really are going to go there. And then just made it explicit. You're here. Joshua's here. What's happening? And, and yes, Dev should get stick for instigating. But we wanted Dev to instigate. Because how many years have we been there going, no one's asking the question. No one's really putting these guys' feet to the fire. And Dev Sani did. Dev said, listen, what's going on here? This is the only fight on this table we care about. So credit to Dev for having the courage to do that. Uh, I thought Josh's response was childish, but also understandable. Because if you remember back in New York, 
He was one that was telling Miller, you, you need to be professional. We're professionals. Act professionally. And Joshua didn't. And this is another example of Joshua not doing the thing that he claims he does do. You know, he always tried to hold himself to a higher standard. And I think what he did with Dev shows that he's human like the rest of us. But I just found that hilarious that it was little old Dev who was doing the instigating. The thing I found interesting in this whole press conference was all the times you've seen Anthony Joshua and he's been the headline act. And what I mean by that is it's a matchroom show. It's a home show for him. It's, you know, everything's in his favor. Everything's set up for Joshua to look like a superstar, right? We've seen it 20 odd times now. You know what I mean? We've, we've lived through this. You could see he was unsettled being essentially an away fighter because his promoter wasn't controlling anything here. They were just guests. And Joshua's body language was what you do when you try and convince the world you're tough. Um, we all know people that we would class as being hard as nails, right? And they're the kind of people who don't shout about it, but you see them in a pub and everyone knows if that's his seat, you don't sit in it. And it's not out of fear, it's respect. It's like, that guy's tough. I don't want to get into any kind of altercation. And in some cases, it's a woman as well. Let's not just say it's only men. But these are people who aren't noisy with it. They don't have to convince you. Because when it's time to go, they go. Then there's another group of people. And they have reputations. And a lot of these reputations are just hearsay. And on God, they fall apart when you say, what's that based on? Who's he actually for? But you meet these guys. They're the guys who do a couple of lines in the pub. And if you step on their shoe, I mean, like, that's it. It's World War Three, Yeah. But they're people who are scared and they act out of fear. They act out of frustration. They act out of not really understanding where their emotions are at any given moment. It's not a bad thing, it's just a lack of maturity. You hopefully grow out of it after about 2021. 20, because by that point, you've either been to jail or someone's filled you in. Anthony Joshua is the second group. He's a guy that has to convince you he's a hard man. He's a guy that has to convince you he's tough. It's easy to do that to Dev because Dev is half your size. But if you noticed when Joshua and Wilder were exchanging, Joshua's face tried to show him being tough and not giving anything away. But at no point did he use his voice to exert any kind of authority over Wilder, whereas Wilder did. Wilder literally, he little broed Anthony Joshua, treated him like a little brother. I wish him all the best. If we don't fight, it doesn't matter. I wish him all the best. Yeah, I think we will fight, but if we don't, I wish him all the best. And it wasn't Wilder talking loud. It wasn't Wilder talking low. It was Deontay being Deontay. A man comfortable in this environment. He's been there before. He knows Frank. He's been at a Queensbury setup before. And we'll come back to talk about Wilder in a second. But just their interaction was interesting. Because you could barely hear Joshua's responses to Wilder. Almost like he was like, God, I hope he doesn't hear me. I hope he doesn't hear me because... Then he remembers I said something to him. And that's when you realize, I always say, everyone's a lion until other lions walk in the room. 
Because other lions would be like, let's just find out if you're really a lion. And I found that exchange interesting. The Miller and Joshua one, I think, is a bit more just a clash of characters. Wilder versus Joshua is, there's something here we need to resolve. And you're either up for it or you're not. And Wilder seemed up for it, and I don't believe Anthony Joshua did, just based on what I saw and what I heard. If you look at the, the Miller versus Joshua exchange, I don't know why AJ tries. I really don't. And if you guys listen to this, you know in every changing room, there's a hierarchy. There are people you don't say anything to because they'll always have something in their back pocket that will bury you. So you just leave them. And you go, you walk in the changing room and you go, I hope he leaves me alone today. I hope it's not me. It's not me. So that's when you make sure your shoes are on point, whatever, whatever you're wearing, nothing that draws attention. Miller's one of those hawks and he will jump on anything. And he's tough enough as a man. Like I never look at Miller as someone who's soft, but he's tough enough to, to stand behind what he says. And because of that, he can really go at Joshua. And he seems to just have the, the formula for getting at Joshua, the formula for getting under AJ's skin, which I love, by the way. He brings out the... He brings out the scared, frustrated kid in Joshua. You know, he brings out the, that kind of thing that made someone like Joshua lash out. You know, there's always that kid in school that could do that to you. Just like they give you like a wet willy or something or a Chinese burn or they slap the back of your head and run off. Those sorts of people. Miller's like that with AJ. And AJ doesn't know how to react. AJ doesn't know how to, how to accept that energy and not let it affect him. He doesn't know that because he's not a tough guy. And he's never been a tough guy. I keep saying this. Whenever you see Joshua's behind the scenes stuff, it's always the people who you think are, are, are nice kids. Or at worst, were probably a little bit just troublemakers, not serious criminals, troublemakers. Kids who might sell an eighth of weed or something or a quarter of weed. You know, kids who might have done a bit of car theft, um, you know, a bit of shoplifting. And Joshua's packaged all that up into being like, yeah, I was this little tearaway. I was a little gangster. No, probably just a troublemaker. That's okay to be a troublemaker. You know, you've grown past that. But a hard man, Joshua's not. And here's why I say that. He was in a room full of hard men. Bivol, Opatia, um, Miller, Wilder. And for all the stick we give Parker, Parker's a hard man. Because he puts himself in harm's way. Guys like Elizora, these are all these are hard men. They're not bullies. They're hard men. Lyndon Arthur, hard men. And you can see Joshua looking around going, these are hard men. He'll know about Lyndon Arthur's reputation, his family's reputation in Manchester. Joshua doesn't have that. And so you get that imposter syndrome. So you start acting up. If you go back and watch the press conference, watch his body language. Everything he's trying to do is, I'm, I'm one of the hard men here. But when the hard men talk, you see Joshua just shrink into himself a bit. You've never seen that with Lennox. You never saw that with Mike Tyson. You never saw that with Holyfield. It's also interesting, actually, if you ever watch Riddick Bow and Lennox Lewis, Riddick has never raised his voice next to Lennox. Lennox, Lennox will say and do whatever he wants around Riddick. Riddick is always a bit subservient to Lennox. 
whenever they're in each other's company, which I always find interesting as well. But how good is Miller at a press conference? Like, you almost want Miller at every press conference. Just let him say something. Give him a microphone and let him do Miller TV. It would just be entertaining. Um, I saw I saw when they were interviewing Otto Island behind the scenes and Miller just jumped in because I know they're kind of promotional stable mates. Um, love everything about Miller apart from his PED abuse. I think he's box office. I thought he had Joshua on strings. I thought he was respectful enough to everyone there. He did. He hit all of his marks. Much like Wilder did. I thought Wilder was unbelievably presidential, as always. Um, if you want someone to be the moral conscience of heavyweight boxing, Deontay Wilder's the man. He, he's able to say so much, be engaging, sometimes be entertaining and funny, but always gets that message across. Twice he called everyone sat there warriors. He emphasized that they earn their money. And he reminded the fans what we do in this ring you can't understand until you've been in this ring he he did everything he had to do and once again i keep saying it as much as people want to be partisan about boxing without deontay wilder heavyweight boxing is no fun at all we've missed him we've missed him and if these are the last two years we've got with deontay wilder let's make the most of them let's appreciate him while we've got him because there isn't anyone coming through who can do that uh, Miller, yes, to an extent, ran rings around Daniel Dubois. I don't know who wrote the script for Daniel Dubois, but please stop writing him scripts. Just let him not speak. You know what I mean? Get him, get, get him like a Bobby the Brain Heenan type character who can do the promos for him because it's not fair on Daniel. That's not who he is. Um, I thought Miller ripped him a new one, um, which, was, which was harsh to see because, like I said, I like Daniel. But that's the game we're in. You know, if you're a big character, I said it about Joshua. If you really are a big dog, be a big dog right there and then. And I think from a British perspective, maybe we showed we're not the biggest dogs in the yard. But I thought the press conference was riveting, thought it was compelling. Um, Otto Arlen, all of these guys are showing that they're here and they're men of character. And sadly, our guys didn't step up. But my highlight was, it was in Wilder was talking about how his power was a gift and a curse. And he did what Dev didn't do. Dev went for the jugular. Wilder just hinted at it. And he said, maybe me knocking so many people out had people scared to fight me. Maybe I lost out on opportunities to unify because people were scared of my power. And then he just left it. And I love the idea of just dangling a thread in front of an audience for them to figure everything out. So that was... That was good. And I, like I said, I'm just full of the utmost praise for Deontay Wilder. I think he's a class act um, in many ways, you know, from a boxing perspective, for sure. The one thing we do have to talk about in closing is, for the last couple of years, Derek Chisora has literally cosplayed Lawrence of Arabia, right? He has done absolutely everything to hang out the back of, of the Saudis. But understandable, he's coming to the end of his career, one more payday. So imagine after all of that cosplay, all of that role playing, all of that, um, you know, groveling, you are overlooked in favor of Mark DeMori. You're overlooked in favor of Jerome Miller. You're overlooked in favor of Joseph Parker. That has to be chastening for Derek Chisora. That has to be chastening. 
because I know they're not going to be having, oh, we've got replacements lined up. There are no replacements lined up, despite what people will try and tell you. <laughs> if drug tests are failed, then it's a problem. But having said that, if I was a heavyweight right now, I'd be training. I'd be training in case there's an injury. I'd be training. I'd be getting in shape. I'd be sparring. I'd stay sharp and I'd stay ready because there's a big check waiting for you if anything were to befall the current incumbents. I'd say the same for the cruisers and the light heavyweights. If it was something to happen to Ellis Zorro or Jaro Pattaya, make sure you're ready to go. Make sure you're good to go. Um, final question is, <laughs> what happened to Ben Shalom? How has Ben Shalom not got anyone on these cards? That's that, that. Maybe the cupboard's bare. I don't know, but not one person from the Shalom stable on that on that show, which is a real shame. But that, they're very clear about who they wanted. Like Vidal Riley could have been a good opponent for Jawa Pattaya. Back to what I was saying in the previous episode. If you know Vidal's a good fighter, so if you are going to drop a lottery ticket down. He's one of those guys who could cause an upset. You know, Billum Smith could cause an upset. So I don't know. I mean, I didn't think I'd get half an hour's worth of content about a press conference, but there you go. Um, summarize, December 23rd, all the fighters we wanted to see, probably none of the fights we hoped we'd see, but we're all going to watch it anyway because we're all off work. Um, and I mean, I think, I think my mom's coming over on that day for Christmas anyway, so yeah, I'll be at home watching, chilling, you know, freezing probably. But we'll all watch it, and we'll all have a good old moan about it. I might make the summary of that episode number 200. I don't know. We'll see. But on that note, guys, let me tap out and say, always appreciated that you listen. Um, in the last episode, yeah, I know I got a bit heavy at the end, talking about sort of men's mental health and our peace, but it's important we talk about these things, and it's important that everyone knows you're not alone. Like, it's easy to, to throw yourself into work, to throw yourself into sport, to throw yourself into life. And before you know it, you're four years into a bad relationship. You're four years into a bad job. You're four years further removed from your dreams and your happiness. So keep your people close. If you've got your day ones around you, keep them close. Lean on them, rely on them. If you can't trust them to share your innermost thoughts, you've got the wrong friends. Remember that. If you can't trust the people around you to share your thoughts with, you've got the wrong friends. Go and find new friends. It won't be a wasted investment. And once you find good people around you, lean on them, rely on them, grow with them, develop with them. No shame in that, guys. And I know that I will tap out and say... Um, have a great day. Whenever you listen to this, have a great day. Um, as always, let me know what you think. If the episodes are hitting, if they're not hitting, always appreciate it and take care.